Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. I just asked before we started, you're doing the intro and you're like, yeah. All right, this is a JGB Sports episode seven. Um, we haven't been to a baseball game this weekend because we actually had a big wrestling weekend. We had a New Japan Pro Wrestling tickets. And then, Go check um, out JGB wrestling. wrestling Podcast. Episode one, I've asked it to be put on the JGB Sports feed. And uh, Mason and I are going to uh, MCW tonight to see the Hardy Boys. We've had these both of those tickets for at least a couple of months or so. Um, they just didn't get the chance, just didn't get the chance. So, um, section one, we always like to talk about things that we talked about before. Um, I looked this one up afterwards, JJ, because I didn't do it justice. So, during the 1962 season, New York Mets center fielder Richie Ashburn and Chacon frequently found themselves colliding in the outfield. When Ashburn went for a catch, he would scream, I got it, I got it, only to run into the 160-pound Chacon who only spoke Spanish. Ashburn learned to yell, La Tango. I think I said Mitengo. I think I got that part wrong. La Tango, La Tango which is, I got it, in Spanish. And in a later game, Ashburn happily saw Chacon backing off. He relaxed, positioned himself to catch the ball, and was instead run over by 200-pound left fielder Frank Thomas, who understood no Spanish and had mis- missed a team meeting that proposed using the words Latengo as a way to avoid confusion. After getting up, Thomas asked Ashburn, what the heck is a yellow tango? <laughs> so he had your tango. A Latengo as yellow tango. Um, Frank Thomas is actually a really famous player. Um, I believe for the White Sox, I seem to remember. Uh, the Big Hurt, I think, is his nickname. So he's a big guy. So, yeah, he got crushed by... I would have thought Frank Thomas was over 200 pounds. That kind of surprised me that was so little. Perhaps in his rookie days, because this said during 1962. Actually, I'm wondering if this is later. I'm wondering if that's a different Frank Thomas, actually. I would Unless Frank Thomas played for a really, really long time, I'm not sure that those would necessarily uh, go together. And the other story is, you gave me some homework. Um, I mentioned the picture. I think it was Bobo. Holly. Yeah. And I said it was the first no-hitter from a first game starting in 60 years. And, of course, you asked the question, who was the first? So, anyway, uh, it was Bumpus Jones. So, do you want to tell us about Bumpus? Okay. I did the research. You can do the reading. Wow. Bumpus Jones only made eight appearances in his brief major league career. He threw a no-hitter against the Pirates in his first major league appearance with the Cincinnati Reds in October, on October 15, 1892. Jones was not perfect, as he gave up four walks, and he did not pitch a shutout. Now, that's unusual. When you think of a no-hitter, you assume it's no runs. But it doesn't have to be, because you could, like, walk ten people in a row or something and walk in six. So, yeah, that was kind of surprising. As an error led to an unearned run. It was also one of the last games played with a pitcher's box. Uh With the pitcher beginning... 55 and a half feet from home plate. That seems kind of far. It's 60 feet now, I believe. The pitcher's mound would be introduced the following. Yeah, the following season. The pitcher's mound would be 
introduced. After that, Jones appeared in several games overall, while going one in four with a nine point nine with a ten point nineteen. That's a really ERA. high ERA. That means you're giving up over a run an inning. That's yeah, over. No, a ten point nineteen. Ten point nineteen is ridiculously high. So not surprisingly, Jones would never pitch in the majors again. He remains the only player in major league history to pitch a no hitter in his first game. So the other people were first hitters in their first start. So do you understand the difference? So the other people came in the bullpen. Now, actually, of people who um um pitch on their first start. We talked about Bobo Holloman of the St. Louis Browns. Uh, Ted Breitenstein, also of the St. Louis Browns, did it. And Tyler Gilbert of the Arizona Diamond Box, Diamondback, sorry, has joined Jones as pitchers to throw no-hitters in their first Major League start because they previously appeared in a relief role. And I actually got you a Bobo Holloman card. And actually, that's still in the mailbox. We've got to get it. We didn't get a chance to get it yet. And Tyler Gilbert, I got you um, that card as well. And do you want to tell us about the last bit about Jones at the end of his life? Oh, he did that ball. Okay, never mind. I got it. Bumpus Jones died in Xenia, Ohio, age 68, and was laid to rest in North Cemetery in Cedarville, Ohio. It kind of faded. And you already asked me, do you want me to... Do we want to go see that next time we're in Ohio? Absolutely. I already thought yeah. about that. I would definitely like that to happen. Okay, do you have anything about Gilbert's no-hitter? The end there? On August 14th, 2021, Gilbert made his first Major League start. He threw a no-hitter in a in a 7-0 Diamondbacks win against San Diego Padres at Chase Field. He struck out five batters, walked three, and threw 64 out of 102 pitches for strikes. Gilbert became the fourth pitcher to throw a no-hitter in his first Major League start. Oh, he says, and the first since Bobo Holloman, so I'm not quite sure where Ted Breitenstein fits into that story. Um, and it was the third no-hitter in Diamondbacks history, so that was one of the more recent ones. So I gave you the first one, and I gave you the last one. updates time. So, um, Coppin State did not play this week, and the reason they didn't play was, on Wednesday it was announced on Twitter, due to the forecast for inclement weather, this week's scheduled series for at Coppin Baseball at Norfolk State has been cancelled. The Eagles stand in first place in the MEAC Sports, with a 17-13 and record in league play. And I tweeted out, because I actually did the math for this, um, if this is the whole four-game series that's rained out, then um, Coppin State will be number one seed at the MEAC tournament, unless Delaware State wins all four of its games this week. I kind of worked out, if you win three out of four, and it wasn't enough. But if they won four out of four, it would be enough. Now, I was actually corrected, though, by uh, Coppin Sports, and they said, actually, if it was a three-game series, and they won all three, then that would also be good. So, there was a chance that some of those games could get rained out as well. All right. Tell us about this series, then, because this is going to decide who's number one in the tournament. I think this came from the, the DES Hornets webpage, if I remember correct. From the DES Hornets webpage, Delaware State at and and not at that says and a n d. I think we need more practice of reading. Apparently, no. get some more kindergarten books out. For no, you. you only ask each 
with own four wins in the eight games played on the season. All right, so stop there for a second. So that means then, if there's four games in this series and Delaware State's got to win all four, that's kind of unlikely then. If they've only won four of the previous eight against them and they've got to win all four, that's a really difficult task. So this is looking good for Coppin State right now. All right, keep going. Okay. The Hornets will look to Trey Page and Brady Daniels to continue with the success. They have had against the Hawks this year. Page leads the MEAC in six hitting categories heading into this weekend. Has nine hits and 25 at-bats for an average of 360 against UMES. Page has three doubles and two home runs in his five extra base hits versus the Hawks. He has drawn two walks, giving him an on-base percentage of 4.7. So you know, you know that 360 is then really good then for about an average, right? And same thing, two home runs and doubles. So we know Page has got plenty of power. And that's actually uh, Jordan's main contender for player of the year in the MAC. So we'll have to see how it does. All right, what about Daniels? Okay. Daniels, the Hornets' number one designated hitter, has also enjoyed his fair share of success in the eight game. With the UMES, he has six hits in his 18 bats, giving him an average of 3-3-3. He has one double, one RBI, and one run. In the matchup. Uh-huh. Daniel's also drawn two walks for an on-base percentage of 400, so he gets on base two out of the five times, so he's pretty good. Um, there's also one other play they didn't mention in the article. Uh, Brian Cordell is a graduate student. Um, he's batting 409 in the eight games against Delaware State. So considering he split the four games, there's three players there who've been playing really, really well against them. All right, so first up, they had a doubleheader on Thursday. So do you want to tell us about game one? You just have the box score. I was kind of, I was kind of watching it a little bit on the. I kept clicking on the feed to see what the score was, so I was watching a little bit. Okay. Okay, Maryland Eastern versus Delaware State. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay. So in the fifth, Maryland Eastern Shore got two. Delaware State got one run, and in the seventh, Delaware State got three in Maryland. Eastern Shore got one, so Delaware State won four to three. Now, you got it slightly the wrong way around, though, because Maryland's Eastern State Shore were back first. So, actually, they were, remember, there's only seven innings because it's um, a doubleheader. So, they were actually leading three to one. Remember, they only need to win one game, and Coppin State gets the number one seed. Three to one. And they give up three runs in the last of the bottom of the seventh, and it's 4-3. Uh, so, yeah, there's the first game gone straight away. Um, what about game two, then? This is the second part okay, of the doubleheader. So, in the first inning, Delaware State got four runs. Mm -hmm. In the fourth inning, Maryland Eastern Shore got one. In the fifth inning, Maryland Eastern Shore got one again. Mm-hmm. And then there was no more runs after that, so Delaware State won 42. So they've got two right now, and that was it leading into Friday's game. So this is starting to get a little bit desperate now for Coppin State. So a couple of close games so far, but all right, tell us about game three then. 
So, in the first inning, Delaware State got one. In the second inning, Maryland East Shore got two. Delaware State also got six runs in that game. In that inning. That inning. Mm-hmm. And in the fourth inning, Delaware State got three runs. Mm-hmm. Fifth inning, they got two runs. Mm-hmm. In the sixth inning, they got nine runs. Mm-hmm. And no more runs were scored after that. So they won 21 to one. That sounds like a football score. Yeah. So having had two really close games, they've now got three. So that only leaves one game left. If that game gets rained out as well, then yeah. they won all three and they're suddenly the number one seed. No. And then as I looked on the schedule, that game disappeared. I could not find anything. So they must just have cancelled that game. So I don't know if they did kind of the same thing that Coppin State did said, Hey look, the weather's gonna be really bad, we're just not playing. So they won they won their last three and that was it. Now I got some of the breakdown for some of these games. So it was four scoreless innings in game one. Kyle Cincinnati broke the uh, score open with a two run homer at the top of the fifth for a two zero UMS lead. Page got the Hornets on the board in the bottom of the fifth with an RBI ground out. And then Hawks designated hitter Brantley Cutler uh, tailed another home retaliated on the home run to his campaign and that was the final lead and in the bottom of the seventh inning game one Trey Page notched his league leading 12th home run of the season by the way of a two run home run over the center field wall so they did say Trey Page was going to be important and it was Uh, one battle letter Craig Crew Bolden who was the game's winning pitcher would also help his own cause and walked the game off with a home run of his own so the pitcher actually walked off the home run to end the game Uh, game two uh, Delaware State started off the nightcap with a four run bottom of the first a UM MES wild pitch allowed Rivera to cross home plate for a 1-0 lead. Page doubled the advantage after scoring on a bulk and with Brady Daniels on third, Alex Rodriguez stepped up. Alec Rodriguez sorry, stepped up to the plate for a first at bat game two. He added two more runs and that was pretty much all they needed. They didn't need much more after that. And obviously the last game was brutal. Uh, six run seconds starting off with a Mason Brewer single down the left field line that scored Alan Alonso. Hornets battled through Battered through the inning, Alonso and Rodriguez drew back-to-back RBI walks to finish off the inning and extend the lead to 7-1. The Hornets would seal the deal in the sixth inning, which began with Rodriguez's second home run of the series. He drilled a two-run shot over the right field wall for a 14-1 game. And with the bases still loaded at 16-1, Crew Bolden stepped up and blasted a grand slam. Uh, so yeah, pretty dominant. And Page also got into the long ball action as he launched the league leading 13th home run of the season in the bottom of the fifth via a two-run shot. So... It's looking pretty good now for Page, the 2022 MEAC preseason, preseason player of the year. Page leads the league in every triple league, triple crown category this season. In addition to 13 home runs, he now tops the batting average with 412. That's pretty impressive. And 43 runs batted in. So he was just under. If you remember, he was like 398, I think I said, when we uh, when we saw them. So, yeah, game four's gone. And uh, Delaware State's now going to be the number one seed in that tournament. Coppin State's going to be second. I believe UMES are going to be third. And I believe Norfolk State's going to be fourth. Uh, I believe that's how that's going to work out. So we didn't have... Um, yeah, we didn't get to see Coppin State this week because, like I said, they didn't play. So I thought we'd focus more on Delaware State because that was probably more important. All right, tell us about those Orioles then, JJ. How did they do this week? So in, on Monday, they they won 6-1. to one. Uh-huh, that in was the... Inning, Kansas City got one run. In the fifth inning, the Orioles got six runs. That was the final score, six to one. Actually, there was most of the game. Not much happened, really. This was actually the makeup game from the from the rainouts of the previous week, if you remember. 
because that was supposed to be a day off. Yeah, that Tuesday game, they won five to three against the Cardinals this time. Mm -hmm. Yep, uh, they played three against Cardinals this week. In the third inning, they got two runs. In the fourth inning, they got one run. In the, in the sixth inning, they got one run. And then the fifth inning, they got one as well. Yeah, and Cardinals got two in the sixth inning. Mm -hmm. And then no more runs after that until the ninth when the Cardinals got one run. So, actually, after the top of the sixth, the Orioles were five up. So, it was a pretty easy game at that point for them. Okay. All right. Good start for the Orioles so unless far. It was, unless they got nine runs in like um, Delaware State did. Well, it's possible. All right, so Orioles are on a two-game win streak at this point. So what happened in the in the next they, game? They lost. They got absolutely blurry ten to one. They did mainly from the second and third. By the end of the fourth inning, it was seven to zero. So they weren't going to come back in that one. Uh, Mikolas took the win for the Cardinals, and Watkins took the loss for the Orioles. And I believe you got the last game in the series to decide who won the series. Who won the series between the Orioles and the Cardinals? And JJ. Uh, in the last game. Orioles won three to two. Mm -hmm. Yep, um, they were winning one zero. They added two on in the seventh, uh, so they were three up after the before they sang "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," and then the Cardinals never came back. Uh, Aiken took the win, and Mats took the loss. So Orioles win another se another series. Um, I said I wasn't going to talk about the Red Sox because it was too painful. Um, they played against the Braves this week, you who I was excited to see. I'm still talking about them, don't worry. Um, they won the first game 9-4, to four, and then they lost the second game 3-5. to five. And then over the weekend, they've been playing the Rangers. So Friday, I got to watch some of that game, and they were really dominant in that one. They won that one pretty easily. And then last night, after I came back from the wrestling, I saw that they'd won that game as well. So they won three out of the last four, but they're still, still bottom of that division by quite a away. Um, Adam London on NESN. Uh, bases loaded in top half of the sixth inning at Truist Park. Kevin Plawecki faced a 3-2 count with two outs when he took a Colin McHugh pitch that appeared to be well below the strike zone. But home plate umpire Beck ruled the pitch a strike, which ended the frame with the game still tied at 3-3 and led to the ejections of Red Stocks catcher and manager Alex Cora. Now, I was actually I heard about this on a podcast, so I went back and looked at it. And um, yeah, it should have been a walk, which would have given them a run. And instead, the umpire called what was a ball a strike and that was a third out and ended the inning so actually the Braves should have won the Braves should have lost both of those two games actually so that was kind of a, a really frustrating one and the other Red Sox news is um, it sounds like the Red Sox might be training Xander Bogarts. There's a lot of talk about it right now. Um, he's a kind of an important figure for the Red Sox. He's batting 345 this season and 291 overall. And I actually looked to see what the current stats were for the Red Sox. Now, I believe this was on Thursday when I printed this out, JJ. Yeah. So I sorted it by average. So the top average is Xander Bogarts with 345. Rafi Devers, 315. J.D. Martinez, 298. The fourth best player on the Red Sox, Alex Verdugo, 216. Not difficult to see how the Red Sox are struggling. There's also a 206, 198, uh, 161 on here as well. So, yeah, they're really, really struggling at this point. So, not good. I assume this is a certain minimum number of games as well to qualify for this list. But, yeah, if they were suddenly to lose Xander on top of that, that would be uh, really bad. Trevor Story, the expensive player, uh, he's fifth on that list. He did score um, his first home run, though, for the Red Sox. I actually noticed something. It says here that one of like it says here a picture on here, um like has an ERA of one point four nine. That's very low. 
That's very, very low. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Who was that? Um, Radish. Oh, is that, is that one of the, who does he pitch for? Oh, it's the, no, 4.24 it says. <laughs> Not 1.24. It says he has a record of 1-1. One and one. Oh, Nicholas. Oh, you're right. The Cardinals pitcher. Oh, yeah. I don't know who that is. I'm not that familiar with the Cardinals team right now. Yeah, that's a, it's still early in the season, but that's pretty impressive. I was actually just watching something on YouTube, a documentary about sports unbeatable records, and the record for the lowest rec um, ERA after the end of a season is 1.12, I think it said. Uh, it was by a Cardinals player as well, and I can't remember his, I can't remember his first name, Bob. I can't remember his name. It's gonna drive me. It's gonna drive me crazy. I can see his face, but I can't remember what his name is. And since then, no one else has. The closest anyone's got is like 1.5. Um, I think Pedro Martinez had a few good seasons. Roger Clemens' last season was under two. Uh, Bob. Oh, I thought I had it for a second. Um, yeah, I can't remember. It's going to drive me crazy. I guess that'll be the start of the next episode when I finally remember what his name is. Right. Hopefully, I'll remember it in the last segment. Bob Dylan. Alright, JJ, I had to Google it because it was going to drive me crazy otherwise. So the answer was, it was Bob Gibson. I had the right team, it was the Cardinals, I just could not remember what his name was. But yeah, that, guy's doing that guy certainly had a good start for the season. Alright, things that happened in uh, baseball this week. So, I believe that uh, you're going to tell us this one. There was another no-hitter this week. So I believe that it's you're going to tell us about it. 22-year-old Reed Detmers threw one of the more unlikely no-hitters in recent memory. In just his 11th career start on Tuesday, May, May 10th, he entered with a 6.33 ERA in 10 career starts, and while he had Shown more some glimpses of turning the corner in recent outings. It was telling the manager Joe Bad Madden was even asked before the game if there was a chance Detmers could be sent back to the minors. Doesn't that sound like the Bobo Holloman story? It sounds just like it. I nearly put it in the first segment, Wait, but I was Madden? like, it's this week. Uh, yes, Joe Madden. All right, am I doing the next part? Yeah. No, come on. Uh, I don't. I already had to read a lot of it. <sighs> Detmers, though, showed why he was so highly regarded entering the year as MLB.com's number one left-handed pitching prospect in baseball, limiting Tampa Bay to one block and an error to complete the no-hitter despite striking out just two batters. So he was pretty close to a perfect game then. Just one walk and the error is not his fault, but that's the way it goes. But yeah, only striking out two, that is kind of... It, it is a very weird no-hitter. You'd expect more strikeouts if, on a no-hitter. I'm not going through 27 batters, but hey. Yeah, you would have. Something I've dreamed of ever since I was a little kid, Detmer said. I didn't think he 
whatever happened. Detmer's the number 10 overall pick in the 2020 draft out of the University of Louisville has never pitched deeper than six innings as a professional, including 14 league minor starts, and he has never thrown more than 97 pitches in any outing. Detmer's became the 25th rookie to achieve a no-hitter. And just in case you have a follow-up question, I have a list on my page. Any follow-up questions, JJ? Um, yeah. Okay, what's your follow-up question? Have you played baseball? <laughs> um, I did in college, but not the same as what a college player here would be. Um, in England, baseball's not really a thing, so it was just a group of people. They're like, anyone interested in playing baseball? So I said, yeah, I'm interested in playing baseball. So we used to go to a field in the town where we're at, and um, did you play we just played. I did play cricket, yes. So that was why I was kind of curious. Um, I'm not particularly good at batting. I'm better at fielding. I never yeah, quite I'm got the batting. Cricket. I was better at batting for baseball. I'm going to play cricket. <laughs> not easy to play here. Um, the first person, in case you asked, was Bumpus Jones, who we talked about earlier. Yeah. And then there's all the other people. Some other people, famous people on that list of the 25 rookies. Christy Matheson stood out to me. Uh, Charlie Robertson, I recognize, because I'm pretty sure that was a perfect game, actually. Um, who else? Vida Blue from the Oakland A's kind of stood out on that list. Uh, Annabelle Sanchez, I remember that happening. And Clay Buchholz as a Red Sox. I didn't realize that was so early in his career. Tyler Gilbert, who we talked about earlier, of course. And yeah. then Reed Detmers was the last one. And, um, yeah, uh, Detmers was actually perfect through five innings before surrendering a leadoff walk to Taylor Walls in the sixth. The Rays nearly broke it up in the seventh when Brett Phillips hit a grounder that first baseman Jared Walsh couldn't handle. And the crowd at Angel Stadium waited for the call from the official and cheered when it was an error. In fact, Walsh clapped his glove. <laughs> he was happy it was an error because if it hadn't have been an error, it was a hit. And that means he couldn't get the no hitter. Um, second story I saw, JJ, was uh, this. Do you know what the cycle is if you hit for the cycle? Um, it's when you hit, like, single, mm -hmm. double, mm -hmm. triple, and home run in the same game. Mm -hmm. It's kind of difficult to do, because you need four hits anyway. And it's also difficult just because you've got to get all those things at the same time. And the triple's actually the hardest one to get. I should yeah. have asked you that. The home run's actually the one of the easier ones to get. You just hit it as hard as you can. The triple, you've got to hit it hard, but then you've kind of got to keep it away from the fielders, and you've got to run really quick. Uh, Christian Yelich, who we talked about before from the Brewers, he actually hit for the cycle against the Reds this week. And it says in the story, if it feels like you've heard this before, it's because you have. Yelich became the first player in Major League Baseball history to hit for the cycle three times against the same team, competing the f completing the feat with a triple and a sixth-run ninth inning in the Brewers' 14-11 loss on Wednesday at the Great American Ballpark. Uh, Christian Yelich's uh, cycles are 2018, another one in 2018, and then in 2022. Now, it says three against the same team, JJ. There's only a few players who even hit three cycles. I didn't realize it was as rare as that. I assume like you might get one a season, but I was thinking probably the most might have been like 8, 9, or 10. Uh, Trey Turner, who uh, used to play for the uh, Nationals, uh, 2017, 2019, and 2021. Adrian Beltre, a former Red Sox player as well, 2008, 2012, 2015. Uh, Babe Herman is one of the classic players, 1931, twice, and then 1933. And Bob Musel of the Yankees, 1921, 22, and 28. And it says Musel's first cycle came off Walter Big Train Johnson. I don't know if you recognize that name. He's a very famous pitcher for the original Washington team um, in like the 1920s. 
And I saw one other thing while I was watching a documentary on Mark, Mike, Mike Trout. Um, in his first All-Star game, he hit a single. In his second All-Star game, he on his first... The, I should have said this is his first at-bat. In his first at-bat on his second All-Star game, he got a double. On his third All-Star game, any guesses? Triple. And on his fourth All-Star game, on his first at-bat? That's the craziest cycle ever. It doesn't count because obviously it's over four different games as well. But I thought that was uh, pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, we found a, I found um, the documentary on Mike Trout, and I mentioned that in his hometown where he lives in New Jersey. Can you remember what his order is that he likes to get when he goes to a dinner? Um, a bunch of. Six hamburgers. Six hamburgers. I don't know if he has fries and a milkshake with that, but I was shocked that a baseball player would have six. And I did say they're not like quarter pounders, I'm sure. They're probably two-ounce burgers. But even so, that's still like three quarter pounders in total. All right, JJ. I think it's time for your little outro. Oh, he's not ready with his guitar. I can play it instead, I think. And, um, yeah, there's no game to review this week, like we said, so we did think about just watching a game and then talking about that, but I think we had enough for this week anyway, JJ, so next week, next week, we didn't even talk about it, I don't think, we are going down to the uh, MEAS tournament, as long as it's not raining anyway, hopefully it doesn't get rained out in Norfolk State, but we won't be there for Thursday, but we're hoping to be there for Friday and Saturday, if everything goes according to plan. (laughs) 